0: All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine podcast is the diesel badass himself, Ryan Millican. What's
1: going on, Ryan? What's up? How are you, man?
0: Doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. I'll be uh, coming down your way here in the next week or so for the U.S. Street Nationals to get some of that stuff you guys sell in Florida called sunshine.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, fortunately or unfortunately for us, we've had about uh, about three weeks of our winter just came and went. And um, sunshine's back out, so we're good to go. You're just in time.
0: Perfect. And I always find Florida winter versus regular world winter is entertaining, to say the least.
1: Yeah, well, winter to us is, you know, basically anytime below about 70 degrees. We get out our big parkas and, and our snowshoes, and I'm just kidding. But uh, but yeah, we're, uh, we're looking forward to um, the U.S. street nights. I'll be down there as well. Um, I don't have anything to drive, but uh, I promised a few folks that I'd be there, so I'll be there.
0: You don't have anything to drive yet, notwithstanding that someone leaves a car unattended long enough that you will not jump in it and try to drive it.
1: Exactly, I put out a thing on Facebook. Um, I didn't know that the way John Sears did points was that he did the best best uh, seven races, in x two seventy five. I thought it was like a, you know, go to every race, get points, and it's all you know, all cumulative. So I put a thing out on Facebook a few days ago about um, if anybody would let me borrow a ride. Now I know that's a tall order, but if you don't ask you you know you, you're gonna you're gonna what does that saying go you're gonna uh you're gonna miss a hundred hundred percent of what you don't swing at right well um now surprisingly enough I had a few people come out and say like I'm not saying yes I'm not saying no but if I get it ready and I can get it down there like maybe um, and then John hit me up he's like hey stupid um it's it's the best of seven races you don't have to make every single race and uh but so anyways I'm not I'm not so hard pressed to try to find a ride for the race now.
0: I saw that post online. I'm like, Oh, this is going to get interesting in a hurry. Cause it, <laughs> th- there's a lot to say there that someone either Ryan or the person volunteering, the vehicle might be biting off more than they can chew.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, I was some, some things just went through my head. I was, I was thinking to myself, you know, like what if I get in the nitrous car? I mean, I use nitrous on my car, but yeah. I'm so you, I'm so used to spooling turbos and all this other stuff. Like, what am I going to do without a bump button? I don't even know what to do with myself.
0: Yeah, you're going to be, what do I do with my hands? What's going on here? Yeah.
1: Why is it so loud? <laughs> yeah.
0: Is it, <laughs> is it supposed to smoke like that? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, kind of going off of that is it's always, I always use you as an example when I tell people when it comes to pushing rules and what's going on that people thought, because I remember I shot your diesel truck originally for an article and you put all that remember in that? the Nikki's Nova. And everybody thought, oh, that's cute. It's a diesel car in small tire racing. I said, be careful. These guys know what they're doing. They figure it out. They're going to wreck some
1: shop. And well, all we, of the at, 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 we didn't know what we were doing then. We just It took us three years to figure it out. I,
0: I was going to say, you know, what was it like to kind of push the envelope and th- this journey to figure it out? And all of a sudden, you, you knew what you were doing, and you went from a sh- sideshow attraction to setting records and putting people away.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I guess that was kind of my goal the whole time was, uh, was to do what, what others said we couldn't. Um, and I knew the engine was a capable platform. The rest of the world obviously didn't remember all the hate mail and, and just hate that I got on social media, like, Oh, that, that, you know, mother effer is putting, putting a, uh, a Cummins in that beautiful Chevy two and this and that, and just, just people just mad about it. And, uh, you know, then I showed up and, there's that video of me doing the 514 with a parachute out and everybody wanted to know, like you went 514 at what mile per hour dragging the parachute the whole time, which was faster than some cars were going out there, not dragging a parachute. And um, so that kind of, you know, I-, I don't know if that, if that just opened people's eyes a little bit or if that was our first glimpse into, okay, maybe that car does make some power. And then, um, you know, we came out uh, NMCA We were still trapping 148, 149. It was as fast as we could go. Made some changes to the car. Found ourselves in the mid-150s. Made some more changes to the car. Bigger injectors. Found ourselves going 162, 163. And uh, it was about that time when we started clicking up into the 160-mile-an-hour zone. And the car was still coming to the track, still making passes. I think people really started to take it seriously. And um, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, yeah, like you said, that that parachute dragon pass and watching that go on, it's like, man, they are just that one half step away from unlocking what they need to turning this car into an animal.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We we learned a lot in very rapid fashion. And unlike, you know, somebody throwing a small block and a fox body or, you know, any other combo that's been done two dozen times, I had nothing to reference. I had nobody to ask you know, Hey, when, when the car's doing this or uh, what suspension setting should I work with? Or, you know, how do I set the weight bias or, you know, so I kind of went off what everybody else did and put my own little twist onto it. And, uh, more or less had to figure it out the hard way as to what, what worked and what didn't. And that's why it took us three years to get, to go fast.
0: Well, what's crazy is that you think about that, that drive line is typically in a truck that weighs what, how much in diesel drag racing, you know, what, mm. 4,000 4, plus.
1: Yeah, the the engine the engine that I started with in a car would be pretty pretty similar to what we run on like a pro street truck, um, which is that that black truck you took uh, you did the photo shoot with that thing was forty five hundred pounds, so um, we were we were making them live in the 18, 17 to eighteen hundred horsepower range, um, and it really wasn't much purpose to make any more power in the pro street stuff because we couldn't keep a transmission alive behind it, so any more power was just irrelevant. It, it took us putting that power plant in that car and the car just absorbing all the power and taking everything we could throw at it to the point where when it took us, the the, the very last year I ran the car, 19, um, we were at Lights Out. Uh, I had John Mellon from uh, Menser Suspension in the camp. We were looking at data logs. The car was running um, 440, 446, and I was trying to figure out where to make it go faster at. I'm staring at data logs. I, I didn't know what else to do. And, and, uh, Mellon looked at me and he said, the car wants more power. And I, I looked at him and I've been running the same fuel quantity for three years. Just, just manipulating suspension and shift points and lockup and all that other stuff. And I remember looking at him and I said, I've been waiting three years for someone to tell me that it wants more power. So <laughs> that, that was, uh, we went 45. Oh, we, I'm sorry. That was at, uh, at lights out. We, we kept it at like a 445, 45, that sweet 16 that happened. So we went like 45 off the trailer. Um, he said it wants more power. So I put more power in it. It went 442. He came back and looked at the data log and he said a lot more power. And I was like, okay, big change, make a big change. Got it. So we made a big change and in one pass, we picked up a whole 10th from 42 to 32. That's insane
0: and, in small tire racing.
1: And, and picked up uh, four and a half miles an hour. And uh, if you go back and watch the sweet 16 uh, video, the highlight video, um, it's on YouTube. I don't remember what it's called, but you see John's face, John Sears standing on the start line, like his draw just dropped, you know, cause he, I told him, I was like, what's it going to take to go, to go in this race? And he said, bottom thirties. And I I, said, I don't know. I don't know if this car will do it, but check it out. So next pass out, we dropped a 32 and his jaw was like <laughs> just amazed along with uh, everybody else. Yeah. Including myself. Cause in South Georgia, you can see the scoreboards. When you when you go through the stripe, you know it. I mean, most normal people are probably looking at where they're going, but I'm going through the stripe looking at the scoreboards, <laughs> you know. So I saw that 32, and I was doing a I was doing a happy dance for sure inside of the car.
0: And again, that's like to, for the, our viewers and listeners to understand something like that with a diesel on small tires, like uncharted territory and diesels are so much different than your gas engines because of how the power comes in and how I have to yep. apply it. It's it's a completely yep. different animal.
1: It is. It is. And it isn't. Um, when I talk to a lot of people about tuning and the way I tune my car, um, from what I gather, the way I tune my car can best be associated with like a big cubic inch nitrous motor um, where like a like a 900 or a 1000 inch type motor where my my engine doesn't necessarily accelerate very well. It doesn't it's it's not snappy. You can't you can't sit at idle and just blip the throttle and it revs up fast. It's, it doesn't work like that. But a lot like those big motors, once they're wound up, they have a very strong resistance to decelerating if they're under full power. So if you hold it at 5000 rpm and then start applying load with lockup and shifts and all that other stuff and try to pull the motor back, that's where it makes its tremendous power at. Where, um, you know, so just like the big cubic inch nitrous motors, they don't want to spin RPM. They don't want to, they want to, they want to get to where they're happy at and you just apply load, shift, shift, lock, you know, um, very similar concept to that. So that's um, that and the the tall gearing that we run um, and the torque that we do make, which um, although we try to stay out of the torque because it's really hard on parts uh, so we try to we try to spin the motor a little higher on the RPM side than, than most might think we do but uh, that torque and, um, and and the tall gears we went a 273 rear gear um, uh, the green car was leaving in a 140 so we had a 210 140 gear set we're leaving in second the new blue car uh, will actually have a 151 126 gear set so the 140 and the 151 are pretty close to each other. Um, But the reason I went with that is so I could split uh, the shifts twice once we locked the converter, because um, I was actually having an issue down track when we would lock the converter in second gear and then shift it locked that drop from 140 to direct was like a 1300 RPM drop. And it was really, it was, and yeah, it it was just a straight down drop on RPM graph. So was really hard to hold the tire so knocking the tire off at like 115 or 120 at 400 feet is sketchy so yeah the the new gear set will will, the new gear set will split that twice so it'll be like a 700 and a 900 rpm drop instead
0: it's funny that you mention it (coughs) that it runs like a big nitrous car now because now i'm thinking about when you see the car running it it's not like your typical turbo car and how it goes down the track and how it works. Mm -mm. But you could definitely see that it's got those big characteristics because it's like, it's, it's strange when you see the car in person, it's like, it's lugging and it's struggling, but it's really going.
1: Yeah. It's a, yeah. And if you listen to the videos too, it doesn't sound anything like the rest of the turbo cars. You know, I'm not running 8,500, 9,000 RPM. Like some of these guys are, I've got about 5,500 to work with and that's it. So it doesn't sound like we're going that fast, but the time slips say otherwise, so it works, out, works yeah. out pretty well. <laughs> you know,
0: as far as building something like this, you know, what's what goes into making it competitive? You know, what what challenges do you have to overcome That's you know, people that are typically used to a, a gas-powered vehicle, you know, what goes into making the diesel work like that?
1: Well, I mean, every time I've looked at, every time I've taken my program, I looked at what the other people are doing that are going fast and I reference what they're doing and how they're going fast. Oh, let me turn this phone off there. I think we'll shut up. Um, every time I look at another team, you know, be it uh, Rob Goss or Charles Hull, or um, you know, not to inflate their heads anymore. Rob's head's about this big already, but <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a good buddy of mine. Um, but any, anytime I reference those guys that are going fast and I take what they're doing and I implement it into my program, it just it just works and it goes faster. So you don't have to look at what we do that much different than what those guys do. Um, it, it's just about looking at your program and 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 seeing what it takes to go faster. I mean, studying data, uh, watching the G meter, and everything is just it's just like they would do. So as far as the challenges go, the only real challenge that I have um, honestly is fitment because the Cummins is a huge long, tall engine with everything exhaust, you know, on one side of the engine and then the intake on the other side of the engine and getting, you know, turbo piping to cross over um, and still fit in these cars underneath the hood is probably the most difficult part. I honestly wish that I could make this kind of power reliably out of a Duramax or, or, or any sort of V8 platform because it would make way more sense for packaging. Um, A Duramax engine is roughly about the same size as a big block Chevrolet. So with, you know, exhaust on the traditional side of the engine with the intake on the inside of the V like a normal V8 setup would be but, you know, our inline six, honestly, and the packaging problems that comes with it is probably our biggest that that all by itself is our biggest challenge everything else is easy after that.
0: That was one of the things I was going to ask you is, you know, with that big old hunk of American iron up front and everything else, you know, what, what's
1: that do for your weight bias? How, how, how do you guys deal with that fun? Well, the green car, when um, we had the billet block and head in it was about 56 and a half to 57 percent on the nose. Believe it or not, it wasn't that bad. Um, when we first switched from the um, iron block to the billet block, I had a hard time doing wheelies the picture of my car out there with, you know, way up in the air, I slammed it down on the oil pan. Uh, that pass was actually the very first pass that I went um, or down the track with mensers on the car. Uh, I had another brand of shock before that. I could not get off the start line. Or if I didn't get off the start line, I'd roll out 20 feet and knock the tire off. And I was stuck in this this middle spot where I couldn't, couldn't get the car happy. So um, uh, we put the mensers on it and did a huge wheelie. Um, literally made a few changes to the settings and moved some stuff around and next pass out was personal best. So <clears throat> this new, the new car uh, is going to be not billet block and head. It's going to be cast iron uh, block and head, but the whole car is light. So I'm hoping the weight bias comes out around that 57 to 58 mark, um, which works out in our favor, which is where we want to be on a radial tire setup. If we were, if we were trying to no prep or even make the car work on slicks, the weight bias is, all the way wrong but because we are on a radial it works out pretty well
0: yeah you know that's great segue right there let's talk about the new car you know tell our listeners what you're building it's still another nova but it's a little bit different you know what do you what do you got going on
1: uh this one's a lot different um it is a it is a leaf spring car it is a nova it does have a cummins in it that's about where the differences end right there um the old car was a very beautiful car it was, um, I believe, the first car that Mickey Tessner at Mickey's Works, Chassis Works ever built. Um, so just like anything, when you, when you do something like that for a living, when you compare your first one to your 30th or 40th one, you know, the, there's differences and it obviously gets a lot better. So now for being his first car, that, that car was wonderful. It was beautiful. It did, it did everything it needed to do. The craftsmanship and everything on it was gorgeous. Um, but it had a lot of street car kind of tendencies built into it. And what I mean by that is like, uh, for instance, the trunk, the trunk still folded up and down, right. Instead of having a pin on trunk lid, um, the, the car itself, um, the car itself, but like the, the body never came off of the chassis in that green car. If I, if I remember right, it, um, it, it never, it never did. It was just the, all the bars and everything were built inside of it. And, um, you know, the car had some dynamat, uh, the sound deadening stuff, part of that street car stuff going on with it had, you know, the steel fenders, it just, it was, it, it was street car turned race car. Right. And then it was big block turn Cummins and it, kind of a product of evolution. I basically got to a point with a green car where I decided that if I wanted to go any faster with that green car, I really needed some chassis updates. Um, I would have loved to get into something that was longer, lower, um, lighter, little less, uh, street car, and more race car stuff going on. So now that when I sold that green car, it wasn't for sale. It was one of those things where somebody asked me, you know, what would it take for me to own this car? And I told them the number and, uh, you know, like, Oh, well, you'll never sell it for that. And I'm like, okay, well it it wasn't for sale. So I guess I'm, I'm okay with that. (laughs) So long story short, we came to an agreement. It's their car now. And, um, you know, it's been back to Mickey. It's it's uh I don't know if I can talk about the updates. It's got some updates coming. It should be coming out uh, very soon. And you'll want to shoot pictures of it again based on what I've seen. So I'll, uh, I'll I'll keep my mouth shut as far as what's changed on it. But you'll definitely want to grab it and get some pictures of it.
0: Uh, that excites me for the simple fact that I, I remember when Mickey debuted that car. I was the oh, yeah. first person to shoot it. I was like, yep, this car is stunning yep. like you said yep. i mean there was so much craftsmanship that he put into that car there was a special story behind that car why he built it the way he yep. did it was yep. an amazing vehicle so i can't imagine if he like what he's learned and everything that he's built what that thing's gonna look like now
1: oh yeah it's uh i've i've seen a bunch of uh sneak previews both coming from mickey himself and uh and daniel and the crew that own the car and, you know i i on it's like a, I mean, it's not my car anymore, but it's still, it's still important to me. So, um, but anyways, you'll, you'll definitely want to see what's up with that. So the new car and how it's different, um, this is a 69 Nova. So it's a second or technically a third gen Nova. Um, the wheelbase I believe is two inches longer. It's either 111 or 112. Um, so that whole body is just a little bit of a, a longer, lower, wider platform. Um, and uh, unlike the green car, Um, this car I've got pictures of the blue car basically of just a tube chassis all the way through. It's got frame rails where it's supposed to have frame rails. It's got the factory suspension where it's supposed to have factory suspension and all that stuff. But the entire body came off this car and then they gutted the whole body and set just what was left back on and welded it back into where it was supposed to be. So instead of having um, steel inner sub panels and uh, all the factory, you know, functional style trunk lid. This car is just carbon fiber, everything. So, and with the exception of the the steel roof and quarters, it, you know, if you pull the trunk lid off, you're looking at tubes and carbon fiber. There's no, there's no street car of anything left on this car at all. Um, the leaf spring setup is uh, that 10 soldiers setup that has all the, all the different adjustment points. So yes, it's leaf spring, but I have just as much adjustment points as, you know, some of these four link guys going on and uh, the um, let's see what else about it. So it's going to be a lot lighter. It's a, uh, it's, it's a lot more race car and less street car. Um, I've got a special place in my heart for those 68 to 72 um, Nova's. What's his name? Um, Kenny Hubbard, that orange car.
0: That car's stunning. Oh, Argu-
1: Arguably I would say top five most beautiful radial tire cars that is out there in, in any class. It's so pretty. I just, I love I love how clo- how low it is to the ground. I love how the body line just flows and that big, big huge wing back there. It just it just looks it just looks fast sitting still. So I uh not not to make all Hubbard's head any bigger than it already is, but I sent him a message a while back. I'm like, hey, you're about you're gonna have a blue twin here pretty soon. So nice.
0: that car sits kinda, so low, I don't think he could fit a deck of cards between the the, no, the bottom no, of it and the ground. No.
1: No, nope. and uh, this past year at No Mercy, I uh, I went and found Kenny's car, and I was crawling all over it, asking him how he put the headlights in, and asking him how he did this and that. And so I think it'd be really really cool, you know, maybe maybe this year we can make it happen, have both cars side by side, you know, same track. That'd be a that'd be a really awesome picture.
0: Oh yeah, that that awesome picture. That, you know, it sounds like you're 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 doing what a lot of people don't realize what goes into these cars to make them that level of race cars that. They, they, start, they have a certain amount of the stock components on there, but you really have to, if it doesn't make it go faster, stop better, it's coming out of the car.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's, so this, this car basically is no holds barred. The only thing left that's factory is what has to be there from the factory with the exception of the doors. The The doors on this blue car are all the way original, um, down to the hand cranks, the blue GM sticker on the inside of the door when you open it up, it, all original, but um, and the reasoning there is uh we left them number one, so I love the way they look. Uh number two, I needed to have some weight in the car. Um, I was afraid that if I did the carbon doors right off the hit, that I would be so light for the class that I'd be adding ballast everywhere where I don't want it. So, or where I don't want to have to. So we left the steel doors on. Um and then if we want to go LDR or uh excuse me, uh, Pro 275 in the future. I know I've got probably a hundred pounds per side at least to pull the factory doors off and put some carbon doors on. So um, good.
0: I was going to say, I think a lot of people don't realize with that too, is that there is such a problem of being too light because you got to start throwing a lot of weight in the car.
1: Yep. So, um, and it depends how, how stingy or how uh, not stingy is not the right word, how um, uptight you want to be with the rules. Uh, per the NHRA, you're only allowed to put so much weight and ballast in the car. Yep. So if you hit the car way too light, you're only allowed to put in so much, um, you know, weight on purpose. Now that being said, there's some things that you can put on the car that isn't necessarily considered ballast, but it's heavy. Um, I'm not going to say any names, but I know somebody who was trying to make weight uh, was only allowed to put so much weight and ballast in the car as you know, just like that. And uh, so instead of putting weight anywhere in the car, one of his nitrous bottles was filled all the way to the top with lead. And, uh, and then he has a dual bottle bracket side by side. So you've only got so much weight and actual weight ballast that you can find on the car, but nobody checks the nitrous bottle. So not that I want, not, not that I want a, a, a 300 pound nitrous bottle flying around the car inside with me, but still, I just didn't want to have to go there.
0: No, no, you, yeah, that's, that's kind of terrifying, but it does not surprise <laughs> me at all, considering some of the creative ways I've seen people hang and put weight in cars.
1: Exactly. I was just out at a big no-prep race this past weekend, um, the uh, the Grand Hustle Civil War deal down in Gulfport. Checking out some of those cars, it was amazing to me how much weight these people had in their cars and where they put it at and how they put it in it. So, uh, you know, walking by some of the teams of the trunks open, And literally just like two dozen sandbags full of sand in the back of their cars. And I'm like, oh, God, (laughs) I'm going to walk away. (laughs) Just close that.
0: Yeah, I don't want to see this. I don't want to I don't want to have to be a a witness in something.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Or it looks you get some. It looks like the uh, the rogue fitness truck backed up to the back of their car. And they just started throwing (laughs) weight plates in the back.
1: Yeah, just round uh, bumper plates bolted everywhere. So a um, few other differences with the blue car and the green car, the green car had a Bosch controller on it, Bosch motorsports controller. Um, and it's uh, it was actually originally designed um, for like the Audi and Volkswagen road racing team. Um, so it's a really complicated controller with a whole bunch of really cool features that were kind of useless in drag racing. Um, so, and the other part that I didn't like about that Bosch controller is that it didn't understand time. So, Like I couldn't do anything with the ECM based off of release of the trans brake button. Like I couldn't say at, at two seconds, I want to do this or three seconds. I want to do this. So that's why I kind of had to rely on third-party nitrous controllers and stuff like that in order for me to be able to do that. The new car has a MoTeC on it. The MoTeC is um, uh, newer, a lot more user-friendly it understands time and I don't need any other third party software or hardware to make all this stuff work. So, um, pretty excited about that. The boys at SNS Diesel Motorsports have hooked that all the way up. Um, I've uh, I've gotten pretty good with it, using it on the engine dyno the last two or three times. I've been up to uh, to Police Performance and Freedom Racing engines. I'm actually going to go up there on the 25th to finish up, which is uh, next Monday. So I'll be back back on the engine dyno, and uh, if we hit our goal and hopefully don't break it again, <laughs> I'll be bringing that whole engine home with me. Um, engine home, uh, harness home. And, uh, I'm waiting on my, my, uh, turn at paint right now. But as soon as, as soon as I get the car back from paint, I'm hoping that the, uh, you know, the engine and all that stuff would be sitting right there on a pallet and pending any major issues. I don't see why I shouldn't be at lights out with the car. Nice. So (laughs) fingers crossed.
0: (laughs) Now that that brings up another question, I wanted to kind of run past you. you know, do you enjoy building and tuning cars that win, or do you actually like winning more behind the wheel as a driver? Because you you know you guys shop, you guys build a lot of stuff, and then you do a lot of tuning. You know, which excites you more? Which which is your which more is your bag?
1: Um, driving is fun, and I feel like ultimately every member of the team needs to drive something you know whether it's the blue car or whether it's something that they own or something just so they understand the concept of racing but i would say i probably get more enjoyment out of standing behind the car and watching and and being a tuner and seeing the changes that we make you know make the difference so now i do like driving a lot and we've uh, we've got two x2 two other x275 cars um underneath kind of our wing here at the shop um one of them is that ranger johnny montesino's ranger have you seen that one Yes. So that thing, um, as beautiful as it was, the way it looked, it was way too long. The engine was way too far away from the tire. Just a lot of stuff didn't make sense. So next time you see that you're going to be, you probably won't even think it's the same truck, but it will be. Um, it's no longer an extended cab and it's no longer a long bed. So. So, Sounds like, sounds like
0: the plasma cutter got to work out.
1: Yeah. The entire old four link got chopped off and thrown into trash, including the whole rear end and everything. Just start over again. So That'll be back out middle of the year. We're hoping to get my blue car out, sorted out, situated to the point where not necessarily autonomous, but we're not like all hands on deck trying to get this thing going and all the bugs worked out. Um, and hopefully that Ranger will be making its its debut uh, mid-season um, as this new single cab um, identity. And uh, we also have a Mod Motor Mustang, a uh, buddy of mine, Jason Reagan, um he lives here local to me he's got a uh it's a gt500 um I don't, I don't remember the year of the car and it was this gorgeous orange x275 car uh, we had to make a couple changes to it this year to make it meet the rules all the way um there was some gray area stuff we had to get situated and uh we're waiting on a converter um he may have that car in bradenton um he's got some scheduling stuff going on that he can't uh that he can't miss, but for sure we'll, we'll be in bright or we we'll be in uh, South Georgia with that one.
0: Nice. That'll be cool to see all that kind of stuff. That's always interesting to hear guys, the tune build and drive what they actually do. Cause I know I talked to Mickey about that when he built that other Nova for, uh, Oh, that, that one PRI, the Vortec car. And he said the same thing. He's driving just didn't do it for him. He liked yep. building and he liked mm-hmm. solving the problem and fixing the box. That's what he liked. Yep. Yep, and I take your leave driving.
1: And and I like doing the exact same thing. I've I've offered the I've offered the steering wheel over to the wife, you know, as soon as my kids are old enough, I'm sure one of them will start driving. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, I like driving. It and it's and it's a lot of fun, but I think the crew chief uh tuner aspect of it is really where, you know, that's, that's really what gets my socks off.
0: Awesome. Well, before we transition into our next portion of the show, we've got something new here. You could be the first guest that's on board for this. We've got one of our sponsors on board, Airflow Research, the original CNC ported cylinder head company from the street enthusiast to the hardcore racer AFR has designed a cylinder head for your application with one goal on mind to just go fast. Speaking of going fast, we'll transition into a, what the hell made you decide to get involved with being an owner of a drag strip? Uh,
1: shoot, um, insanity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, here's what happened: is our local drag strip, Emerald Coast Dragway, shut down in 2011. Um, and what's crazy is I can actually remember like where I was at, what I was driving, and what I was doing when I got the message, actually on MySpace. That doesn't exist anymore. RIP. Right. Oh, wow. Um, that, that Emerald coast dragway was, you know, ceasing operations. And it was, it was a tough blow because I had just gotten, I just gotten a purpose built race car that race truck. Um, and I had just started putting some money into it because I wanted to start drag racing for real, not just messing around with my daily driver kind of stuff. So now all of a sudden the racetrack's closed. What the hell am I going to do? What am I gonna do with this race car I just bought? Right. So Anyways, a couple years goes by and a lot of a lot of people come and go that say they're going to open the track back up and nothing ever happens. And it was um, it sucked. It was like the dark ages. Right. No racetrack. It sucks. We have racetracks, other racetracks, but I don't want to drive two and a half hours if I don't have to when there's 135 minutes up the street. Um, so finally, Ozzy opened the track up. Actually, I was before I bought this building that my my shop is in. I was actually looking at buying the property up there. Not necessarily to make it into a racetrack right away, but to secure the property, put my shop on it as a functional business, and then, as time and funds allowed, slowly get the racetrack resituated, surfaced, whatever needs to happen, so I could open it back up. Um, because, as you can probably imagine, racetrack business is a is a cash only kind of business. You get, you don't you don't walk into a bank and ask to borrow money to open up a racetrack they literally laugh you right out the front door (laughs) and say don't come back you know um and i got word that ozzy had put an offer in on the track and i backed off i was like okay you 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 do south georgia and orlando like if you're if you're gonna come in and do something emerald coast please do it and he came in and and opened it up and did uh you know did a bunch of work put beautiful lights up redid the surface did a bunch of really nice stuff to it and um and uh, they were running it for a while. And he, uh, he hit me up, mm, it was at No Mercy 2016, I think, or 2017 maybe. And uh, anyways, he hit me up and he was like, hey, I need you to take over uh, Emerald Coast Dragway, you know, because he opened it all up, but he didn't really have a real good um, management type team in place. It was just, you know, an old buddy of his and um, and the track just wasn't doing so good. Um, so he said, uh, I, need, I need you to take over Emerald Coast Dragway. <laughs> and I said, I need, uh, I need that. like I need a hole in my head. So no thanks. And um, there was some stuff going on with my business here that uh, thankfully is behind us. But um, I wasn't sure, you know, if I was going to keep doing the diesel shop stuff or what I was going to do. And this opportunity was here. And, uh, you know, he painted the picture of how we were going to make all this money. And, you know, of course, so. We didn't, uh, first, first year was really hard. Second year was really, really hard. Um, and then honestly, this COVID stuff came along in our third year and I based on initial, um, just thoughts when this COVID stuff hit, I thought that Emerald coast dragway was just going to go down the toilet. I mean, there's no way at one point in time, uh, last April, I almost got arrested by the County Sheriff up there, uh, when they had all that no more than 10 people at a time bull crap going on. And um and then lo and behold, the private testing and, and all the stuff we did during all the COVID stuff is honestly turned turned it around for us to to where last year was our best year in business so far at Emerald Coast Dragway. Um I, this is my last full year uh I have this is my fourth year I'm into the track right now. And uh, May or I'm sorry uh, November of 2022, it's time to hand it over to somebody else. So I did my fun, had my, had my, had my share of fun out there, but, um, it's time for somebody else to do it. Um, if, uh, I said it a million times, if I didn't have my shop here as my primary source of income and something that's not easy to sell at all, because if I leave this business, like hard way is just a building like without me. Right. So, um, but anyway, so it, if somebody were to come along and write me a check for this building and all the crap I have in it and all that stuff, and I could write a check for MO coast Dragway and just have it paid for free and clear, it'd be a really cool gig. But to do it as a side business where I've got to make enough money to cover a note every month, it's, it's hard. It's way too hard with all the volatile stuff going on in the whole world with, with rain, with all the uncontrollable stuff, you know, you might make 20 grand in one weekend and then you can't open for six weeks. So it's, it's just way too volatile to, to not be paid for, you know?
0: I think a lot of people don't realize like, it's not a simple fact that you own a drag strip and you just throw open the gates and magic happens. There's so much.
1: Oh my God. It goes
0: into every event. I've, I've helped out with track rentals and small events and stuff like that. And it just, it's mind-blowing. It really,
1: really is. Oh, yeah. And then when you're open every weekend, you know, to reset the facility. I mean, I've got guys at the track right now working, picking up trash, you know, um, emptying emptying this, cleaning the bathrooms. And I I, I like to associate it a lot like, um, like farming. You know, farming is one of those things where you think that from the outside looking in, it looks like you just stare at the corn and watch it grow. But your average person has no idea how much work is involved ahead of time before that before those seeds hit the ground and and after you pick the corn and and you know this the equipment that breaks all the time and and the you know just setting up a race all by itself is a tremendous amount of work and extremely stressful so then multiply that by every single weekend and like i said i I think i'm insane for, for taking over the racetrack and uh Hopefully I get uh, some poor soul to come along and let me talk them into taking it from me in the next year or so. Cause the more, the, the longer we have for turnover time, the better it is for the person coming in and for the health of the racetrack. So if it comes to the point where my lease runs all the way out and I hand the keys back over and get my stuff out of there and then I don't know what happens. I mean, all that momentum and all that work and all that, you know, the busy schedule and it just goes for nil. And I, I don't want that to happen. So I really hope between myself and Ozzy and, and our local our local racetrack uh, friends and family that, um, you know, in the next year and a half or so, I can find somebody to take it from me.
0: You know, kind of off of that, you know, what's something you've learned running a drag strip that might surprise racers or fans that's uh, pretty important that they don't really think about?
1: Um, Number one is uh, there is not nearly the money whatsoever that everybody thinks in in having a racetrack. People see see a pro mod show. Right. And uh, they come out to the pro mod show. And I might have six, eight, nine hundred people in the gate, which at Emerald Coast Dragways, pretty that's a pretty busy event because we don't have a lot of space. So six or 800 people packed in. Right. So, and then they don't factor in the fact that the pro mods don't pay for a tech card. Uh, three other, three other crew get in free with the driver along with the driver coming in for free. Um, and then they have an $8,500 purse. So do all the math all said and done. And on my average pro mod show, I'm happy to leave with 3,500, $4,000 all said and done for the whole weekend. And that's all fun and well, and it sounds like, oh, he's putting four grand in a bank account, but after paying the lease, paying for the lights, paying for insurance, paying for the glue, paying for all, everything that it takes for that to happen, it cost me like 35, like 35 or $3,600 a week for the track to just sit there. So if we're not running, if we're not operating, or if we get rained out, you know, um, I don't know, I guess I had an argument with a guy he wanted me to change the price of test and tune, right? Cause it was too expensive for him to come out of test and tune on his fixed income. And I said, okay, well, what do you think it should be? And he said, well, when, uh, when Chip Cooser opened the track, it was $10 to, to get in and $5 for a tech card. And I said, Chip cooser opened the track in 1997 or 1998. Like if you look at the cost of inflation and the rate of inflation, the $15 and $10 that I charge now is actually less than the five and ten dollars back then but nobody wants to listen to that right no. and nobody wants to take into account that the glue they don't you know we don't prep tracks or we prep tracks a whole lot differently than we do than they used to back in uh, chip Coozer's day um, uh, they didn't have big full-on sprayers like we have now they didn't go through three to five hundred dollars a day in materials um, you know just it's just a totally different everything costs so incredibly much. So, um, do yourself a favor or, or, you know, do us a favor, at least next time you go to a racetrack, go find the track operator. Don't, don't gripe at him. Don't, don't yell at him about, you know, oh, the fence is laying down or the radio station doesn't work. Shake his hand and tell him, thank you. Because that guy's not out there making millions on your behalf. It's the other way around. He's probably spent money so you could come out there and race that day. So.
0: Oh, I totally agree. You know, anytime I go to an event as a media person, I always make sure I find who's where, thank them, that whole deal. And as a racer, I don't, I've, I honestly don't think I have ever complained to track staff ever about anything or as a crew guy, no matter how bad something's been, never complain. I've seen guys flip out about the smallest things and it's like it, you know is it really worth it what are you gaining out of that you know besides making
1: someone else's life miserable yeah if you're not if you're not part of the solution then you're part of the problem exactly chances are we know that the light in the bathroom doesn't work or chances are we know that the radio station antenna only broadcasts you know so far out or or whatever it is and for whatever reason we haven't been able to fix it yet but griping at us about it you know it just doesn't fix anything so um Either be a part of the problem or be a part of the solution or you're a part of the problem. Well, I think um, and I try to tell a lot of people here, our local people, is that yes, I'm the I'm the guy running the racetrack. I'm the one responsible for the bills, but this is our racetrack. So if you see something you want to change or something you want to do, then let's have a chat about it, but let's do it. You know, if you if you think that the pothole in the staging lanes is so bad that it needs to get fixed, then go get some asphalt. You know, be a part of the track be help, you know, pick up that instead of whining about the oil downs, we didn't make that car oil down. Instead of whining about the oil down, shut up and grab a mop, come help us. You know, it's just, that's a, it's a, it's a stressful. I I can't wait. I can't wait to be the guy in the staging lanes, just minding my own business instead of the one responsible for everything. So when there is an oil down or something happens, I'm just going to, happily take my way back to the race car or back to the race trailer and uh, wait for him to call me up again. And, you know, I just, I cannot wait to be on the spectator side of things because the the track operator side is, is stressful.
0: And that segues into you know, the real good. The next question I have here is, you know, has running at a drag strip really changed how you approach the sport as a racer yourself?
1: Absolutely. Um, by a long shot. Like I said, i you will never find me going to another racetrack, making a complaint, making a, making anything. I'll be the guy from here on out. If it looks like they need help, I will go help. If they, if, if there's a huge oil down in the right-hand lane and they're covered in oil from front to back and they've got two guys on mops, you know, instead of whining about the situation, I'll be the guy down there grabbing that third mop and helping them clean. Um, And uh, like I said, go to your local track operator, tell them, thank you. Um, the sacrifices that those people make that we make as track operators so everybody has a place to race is, I can't even put it into words. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's a, um, it's an unfathomable amount of work, effort, and and everything to keep a racetrack and a race program going. So, um it's funny you okay.
0: mentioned helping out as a racer. Uh, the last time I was at it was at lights out last year when that Mustang had the throttle hanging. It smacked the wall, and knocked the wall over. Yep, that was kind of wild in yep. a lot of ways. And you see everybody like it's one of those things that you you say like how do we fix this? And mm-hmm. everybody's like trying to figure it out. Maybe Bajinga rolls up and he was kind of like, you guys want my opinion and. He went, got on the piece of equipment, got over there, showed them how to grab it and then how to lift the up and put it back stand, over.
1: Stand it back up. And yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the problem. And, and the, the famous line, Oh, I'll never be, you know, never, be, yeah, never be back. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, from people that have said they'll never be back and then I see them in the staging lanes the next week if you're gonna say that just shut up just or just don't come back do us a favor and don't because we'd honestly rather not have you there than listen to you whine about crap that doesn't matter and and then just to be back to in the staging lanes two weeks later you know I can I can name some names for sure around here but um I'll let that one slide
0: well, I think too, is that people also need to understand as as fans and as racers and even on the media side and shop owners, and everybody else as well, is that what we say and how we present ourselves, It it you don't think it matters, it's just on the internet. Well, no, it matters because it makes the decision for a track operator to maybe do something or a company to get involved a lot harder because they're like, look at, you know, these people are so negative. Why do I want to be a part of that? You know, I think. Exactly. I think is anybody involved in the sport that we should work on trying to be a lot more positive about things instead of trying to thrive on negativity
1: and controversy. The, the negativity honestly will drive me from, from doing the negativity that we have with some of the types of racers in our area will, That's the best way to say this. So i put my foot in my mouth it makes me want to do certain kinds of racing and not do other certain kinds of racing because of the people that come with those certain kinds of racing and how they present themselves. So when I first took over Emerald coast dragway, I was, I thought that small tire racing and grudge racing and all the heads up stuff is all what we needed to focus on. Cause that's what I did. So that's like, I didn't look outside of my blinders at the rest of the drag racing world. Um, and then fast forward three years and I would be, okay with doing private testing, our normal test and tune Friday frenzy and Sunday fun day stuff and bracket racing. Because those are the three less least stressful types of things that I could do at Emerald Coast Dragway, where I almost don't even need to be there. Because the bracket racers are autonomous. Those guys, all you got to do is do what you said you're going to do. And, and like our program last year was like on cruise control. I mean, you you'd grab the microphone to pick it up, to call super pro to the lanes. I'd walk over and look out the window and they're already all there. I don't even, like. I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> you guys just are autonomous, you know, in the private testing, people love that. It's, you know, low stress, but you get into this heads up racing where, you know, you have all the rules about this kind of suspension and this kind of tire and this and that. And this person's using a trans brake and blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't even want to play anymore. I want to tell everybody to load up and go home and just, stop griping
0: bracket racers to me are amazing because they are the, I always tell people that you need three things for a successful race. You need the right, you need the, the races will be happy if the surface is prepped Mm -hmm. just so it's like usable that the program is run. As you said, it was run and it makes sense. You don't do anything crazy and the payout is somewhat fair doesn't have to be on the top end of things. It just, they want to feel like they're not being screwed over like a poor dirt track racer. If you do those things, you're good.
1: Yeah. So if you do what you say you're going to do, as far as the program, the payouts, the, the schedule, all that stuff, and you just stick to it, that's it. That's all you got to do. They're so, they're, they're so easy to make happy. So when I first came on uh, at Emerald coast Dragway, man, the bracket racers, between me versus them and, and, and them versus me, we like had it out for each other. There are constantly flare ups on the internet and, you know, um, just not pretty, you know, and then I don't, I don't know what's happened in the last three years, but all those bracket race people that were dragging me through the internet and and I was dragging them through the internet and all the other stuff. Now we're all buddies. And now I love bracket racing. (laughs) So We've got a big bracket race this weekend. Um, uh, Galen, um, Galen with the king of the coast series is bringing his king of the coast race back to Emerald coast dragway for the, um, the season opener. It's not a points race. It's like a winter warm up kind of thing. Um, uh, they got a three day race this weekend and I'm looking forward to it because I love all those people. I love everything about the bracket racing. It's fast. It's, it's, um, like I said, they're autonomous. So he just it gives me plenty of time to go grab a hot dog and go say hi to people. And I don't have to be up in the tower micromanaging because the it just kind of runs itself it works it's awesome it's a it's a track operator's dream
0: makes life easy and that's easy as good
1: yes easy is good low stress is good
0: S- switching gears here it's you know diesel racing to me is something i know enough to be dangerous but it fascinates me just for the simple fact that how insane these vehicles are considering their size mm-hmm. and the complexity and how quick and fast they go i mean If you haven't checked out the UCC challenge, people need to check that out because that's just – that's bananas. You are going to see stuff blow up and catch on fire and go really fast.
1: The really cool part about the UCC specifically – and I've heard some big changes coming down the pipe for those guys, and I I don't want to say out loud, but if they do what what I've heard, it's going to be a really cool show. Um, So we'll just – we'll leave that at that. But uh, the cool part about the UCC stuff is it's one vehicle – that drag races, sled pulls and so it's not like a purpose built drag car. No. It's not a purpose built. It's a it's a one size fits all. <clears throat> one shoe does it all kind of thing. And uh, it's really cool because of that. So you get some got, you know, some vehicles lean a little better to being better at sled pulling where they suffer on the drag strip and you get some vehicles that are, you know, dominate the drag strip, but that same vehicle that dominates the drag strip when you hook it to a sled doesn't do so hot, you know. And then uh the dino is a whole different deal all by itself so and it's a it's a combined points deal that's really cool so it's a it's a weekend of a lot of carnage and a lot of really cool stuff
0: dude diesel dino pulls terrify me like oh i I sit there it's like it's like a a big power one it's like a suspenseful horror movie where it's like is some you know you're on the edge of the seat you you see it to the very edge is it gonna live is it gonna die what's gonna happen
1: Oh, yeah. There's a couple videos floating the internet of uh, of what happens when they don't live. No. And uh, they're, ve- they're very entertaining. Big fireballs, parts everywhere, big mess.
0: Well, um, F- Firepunks just up the road for me. And they had that one in the Dino cell a couple yep. years
1: ago that scalped itself. Exactly. We've uh, And then uh, Sean Baca out at Industrial just did that again. That same setup. Um, uh, it's like about a year ago, six, eight months ago, maybe. Um, where the whole top of the engine blew right off. Uh, we had my blue car, the engine for the blue car on the dyno, and we noticed a split on the block uh, long ways. Um, and it was probably harmless. Honestly, probably would have ran forever at the power level that we needed it to make, just like that. But based on how these things come apart, when they do come apart, where they blow the whole top end off, and that little stress fracture was right there, we scrapped the whole block and, uh, and just put a new one together. Just just because of that.
0: Oh, it's, you know, pulling tractors. I've seen pulling tractors basically like, it just looks like someone stuffed some C4 inside the center of the engine and like the crank will still be turning with pistons attached. But, yep. you know, the the insides are on the outsides and there's a lot of people scratching their heads with fire extinguishers.
1: Yep, yep, exactly. It makes a huge mess. I mean, they, you know, we have catastrophic failures too, just like, I mean, the, the gas cars, top fuel, I mean, I've seen some catastrophic failures, you know, of the same sort. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, trying to contain and harness that much energy. And the way we're trying to do it, sometimes, sometimes, you, sometimes you lose, you yeah. make a huge mess.
0: So sometimes you didn't carry the one on the fueling table and bad stuff happens.
1: Yeah. Kaboom.
0: And, you know, the reason why I was kind of going into that is, you know, all this insanity of what's going on, the power levels, where do you see the future of diesel racing going? You know, or are we going to continue to see growth? You know, what, what do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, the diesel industry itself right now is kind of under, under siege per se um, from some of the uh, government agencies that don't like our smoke blowing and, you know, all that stuff. So as far as the, like the diesel performance industry, like racing goes um, I think we're kind of at a, I don't want to say a pause, but we're kind of um, it's like we're holding fast, waiting to see, you know, if they're gonna leave us alone or if we can keep playing or whatever. But and that stuff aside, in regards to just a diesel performance as far as like the the technology and stuff like that, I mean, 32, 3300 horsepower right now on a common rail is not, it's I mean, it's a big deal. It's a lot of numbers, right? Um, but and 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 I want to be able to say that our platforms can keep up with, you know, the radio versus the world type engines. And I think we're really, really close. Um, but that like that 5000 horsepower number that we see Mark Mickey and them doing with the radio versus the world stuff is a scary number. I don't know. I think we have the technology. I think we have the hard parts. It's just a matter of somebody making it happen and making it, you know, making it live. So in X 275, I need to make about 2,200 um, green car with as heavy as it was, was making upwards of 25, 26. Um, I don't want to have to make that much horsepower to try to go as fast as we were going, which is why I'm trying to go so much lighter with this other car. Um, you know, the fire punk boys, <clears throat> I believe they went, I believe they made 3,200 and change on that, uh, the motor they call the, I think they call the executioner. The all billet one in their Pro Mod truck, um, 32 3300 horsepower still lives. So, but 32 3300 is still pretty far away from 5000. Yeah, there's a so, couple, couple numbers there. Couple numbers. It, yeah, it's like a, yeah, you know, whatever. It, yeah, it's a couple pounds of boost. It'll be good. Yeah, whatever. That's, it's a big difference though. So, I think Pro 275 with a combination like mine, um, maybe with the billet block, maybe a billet head as well. Um, I think 2,800, 3,200 horsepower on a 275, I think we'll be able to be extremely competitive, but um, I have no idea. I have no idea what it'll take for us to run with those, you know, 4,500 plus horsepower radio. I honestly think that in the whole grand scheme of things, that radio versus the world is just, it's gone for the average guy to try to keep up with. Um, I mean, those cars are, amazing but it's like watching a top fuel car it's hard to relate to you know because they're they're all pro mods they're all carbon fiber bodies they're all 5000 horsepower so i'm thinking um pro 275 or ldr is probably going to be my next stop that i want to play in nice and i think we'll be i think we'll be plenty competitive with the power plants that we have
0: to wrap things up here i have one fun question i want to ask you because i have a feeling your answer is going to be mildly entertaining is what oh boy what vehicle would you want to swap a diesel into that would just drive people insane? That's well, I think not I already a, did that. Well, I was going to say, we're going beyond that besides a Nova.
1: Oh, okay. Um, what, like in a racing type application or what? Period. You just want to
0: put a diesel in something to piss people off. You know, if you could diesel swap anything to have fun and just push people's buttons you know, just uh, like the guys that LS swap the Lamborghini, or you know, just put a LS in a Fox body. What's the diesel equivalent that you would want to do that with? Put it in a car. You know, what what would you want to do?
1: Well, there's a couple different ways to that. I would say that you could do that to to really draw some attention. So number one, like that, like the LS swap guys. Um, everybody wants to take an LS and put it in something. In our world, everybody takes a Cummins and puts it in something. So if I was just going to go out there to try to ruffle some feathers, I would probably take the six liter power stroke that everybody takes out and I would take that and put it in something, put it in a, uh, put it in place of, I don't know, anything, whatever, wherever it'll fit. Um, and that would just piss everybody off. Cause you know, kind of like the Mustang guys take the 302 out and put the, put the LS in, but you don't see people taking LSs out and people stuffing 302s in. So no. kind of be the equivalent of that. Um, for no it, and it served no purpose at all because I take the motors out for a reason. <laughs> but uh, it'd be really entertaining. It would at least ruffle some feathers on the internet.
0: Well, Ryan, the uh, the, the technology gods are fighting us, so we're gonna have to cut this one off. Um, usually, I just tell my I give the floor to my guest, John Force impersonation. Tell us people where they can find you, out, what you got going on, and what's up. What's up?
1: All right. Uh, well, I appreciate you having me on here um ryan Milliken is is of course my name you can find me on youtube you can find me on uh our website uh, hardwayperformance.com or RaceECD.com, which is our website for emerald coast dragway and uh other than that you'll catch me in the staging lanes at in bradenton here in a few weeks not with a car but i'll be uh harassing some of my buddies who were able to get their stuff running in time um and uh other than that the new car that You've heard so much about, I'm hoping to bring it out so you guys can debut it or so I can debut it for you guys um, at, uh, at Dutch Race at the end of February. So lights out uh, 11, right? Twelve. Lights out 12. Okay, I lost count already. <laughs> so we'll be, uh, we'll be there. So come see us and um, hopefully picking up right where we left off, going fast and pissing people off.
0: Awesome, Ryan. Thanks for coming on the show. And a special thanks goes out to AFR for being our sponsor this week on the show. Appreciate it for sure. And uh, Ryan, I'll see you in a couple of weeks.
1: Later, buddy.